welcome to Storyteller, where we're sitting down, virtually, of course, with the storytellers who are changing the way we tell and consume stories. We'll be talking to the best storytellers out there across media, sports, entertainment, who are all evolving the way we interact with an audience. I'm Christine Schock. And I'm Sky Muller. And today we're talking about the evolution of video production. Joining us to share his wealth of knowledge on the subject and to share his story is Casey Cassidy, digital director of Top Chef content for BravoTV.com. He's been fully immersed in the LA entertainment world for nearly 20 years now, producing, directing, editing. The dude has seen it all. Casey, it's so great to have you on Storyteller. Yeah, it's so cool to be here with you guys and the way it all came to fruition and, you know, getting on board with Sarah at Tagboard and just the fact that you guys wanted me on the show and it's my birthday. So it's a great gift for me and uh, an honor to be here. Let's say we owe you the special thank you for slotting us in on your birthday of all days. So we only owe it to you to have a little fun over the next 30 minutes. Um, But why don't you just start it off by kind of telling us your story, you know, give us a little background of how you got to where you are today. Uh, You've had quite a wild ride doing some, some fun stuff here. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I went to Washington State University, the Edward R. Murrow School of Communication, and um, that's how I ended up in Los Angeles working in television and film. Um, you know, they kind of place you in news because I have a degree in broadcast news. And after my two-year NBC contract was done, I just packed it up and moved to Los Angeles because that's what all my classmates were doing. You know, at the Murrow School, we were doing comedy from the get-go, and we were all thinking SNL you know, not local news, but still (laughs) to see when I was doing morning news and had to go out and run 300 yards of cable and, you know, fine tune a microwave dish to get the signal in a small market. (laughs) To now you can just, I'm directing on FaceTime, you know, I'm, I'm in my apartment directing people all over the country via FaceTime or Zoom or Microsoft meetups, you know, whatever um, the preferred format is. So I've really seen the gamut from working at the Murrow School with like three quarter decks and editing tape to tape SVHS to now directing on FaceTime and using Premiere to put out a superior product with, you know, little effort compared to all the wiring and patching and things that you had to do to make those things happen before. So um, it, it has been a wild ride, you know, starting off in small market news and now ending up here directing for top chef content in my living room. Um, it's, it's not what I thought would have happened when I first started going out at three in the morning to do morning news. They were very kindred spirits. My, my first job in news, my call time was 11 PM at night until 8 a.m. in the morning. And I thought, wow, what a glamorous life. I've made it, haven't I? Uh, So (laughs) I get that. And I'm guessing you probably never thought you were going to be producing via FaceTime in your house. So things have have changed a little bit. Trying to keep up with all the innovations, yet utilizing things before they're gone has been a challenge as well. Um, My, you know, most of my career before I started doing these stand and stirs, um, which are super popular. I mean, everybody's newsfeed has a stand and stir or a recipe of some kind. And 
no matter how many you scroll through, eventually you see one that catches your eye. So I think that the popularity of that, and of course, um, working with Top Chef, which is such a huge brand, they've created all these chefs that are their own brand. You know, they're a planet unto themselves and, and cooking brands are throwing themselves at these chefs to get a little piece of that love. So seeing how the integration is all working. And of course you add in the virtualness of it all now too, where I used to, I'd land a gig like this and we have a big meeting and, you know, some stand and stirs I still do in the traditional format in a studio with a jib and a dolly, but now I'm shooting on iPhone remotely and just utilizing 4K and bringing it into Premiere to make a product. Nobody knows there wasn't a crew there. So without making everybody listening too hungry, since we're in that awkward between <laughs> breakfast and lunchtime, can you give folks who don't really know what a stand and stir is kind of the... Uh, simple definition of, of what that is that you're working on. I think we've all seen them in, in our, in our social feed and our Instagram feeds, uh, but kind of explain a little bit about like what it is, what type of content you're creating. Cause it's pretty unique. Well, it, it is, it's unique in that now I'm starting to actually utilize talent. You know, everybody's seen the recipe video, which is the camera shooting down on the cutting board and you see the, you know, various ingredients going in and then ding and, it's in the oven and, and that. Now I'm starting to actually have people stand in their living room or the kitchen rather and talk to the camera and go through the recipe themselves. So you get a little of that glimpse inside the life of a top chef chef at their own home. So I think that adds a lot of value in the documentarian sense of things that they're, you know, showing a little vulnerability and and not being on the big set of Top Chef where they're being judged and evaluated and, you know, reset and let's do that again. This is just, you know, it's a lot more simple one-on-one -on -one virtual recipe um, that chefs are sharing with their fans who, I mean, they have millions of fans. These, like I said, these Top Chef chefs are now planets unto themselves. And uh, it's important content to keep the chef Top Chef brand going so strong. Um, and aside from that, like I said, every newsfeed has them. So it's pretty hard to ignore any longer that these are as simple as they are. You know, I mean, I used to direct 20 cameras <clears throat> when I was in Hidden Camera working on Scare Tactics and Betty White's off their rockers. And now I'm just doing three iPhones in a kitchen. So for me, the simplicity of it all doesn't take away from the vulnerability that that these chefs, you know, these these stars of the of the stand and stirs are still giving up. There's importance in everything they say and do. And you want it to be um, understandable by the audience. You know, it's three to five minutes and you don't want them walking away with like, I can't do this. You know, so the trick is to make it both complex and unique, yet simple for the scroller looking for the, the right recipe to catch their eye. It's interesting because no doubt you've gone through a lot of different challenges thrown your way from moving initially to LA straight out of Pullman and trying to assimilate down there into the production industry. And now you're directing over FaceTime. It's, it's just like no challenge too small. What, what are some of the biggest challenges directing FaceTime, just keeping it where we are now quarantined and having to do it this way? What are some of the biggest challenges there? Well, luckily for me, I've had an iPhone since the first iPhone, and 
I've convinced all my family to buy iPhones. So I'm kind of an expert at FaceTime, you know, and most of the chefs that are running their own social media on the iPhone are experts at FaceTime. So it doesn't feel that different from being in person with them. I mean, obviously there's some like, hey, can you, you know, carry me over to look at your stovetop so I can get an idea because I'm also lighting it virtually. You know, we send them a light package and trying to figure out the best ways based on what they have there to to get it all in the can. Um, so the challenge for me, I guess, via FaceTime is that there's somebody helping the chefs, right? It's usually their significant other. And just being able to, how, how can I make this as brief for them and as um, easy on, you know, interrupting their lifestyle you know, I, I've done correspondence and written creative with the chef, but when it comes down to the cooking part and the shooting, it's usually their boyfriend or girlfriend or husband that's rolling the cameras and clapping for me. So that that's the, the challenge is to like, I got to make friends with this person immediately as if they're my DP, my gaffer, my sound guy, everybody. And, um, you know, it's, it's worked out perfectly every time just being on that personal note with people who understand FaceTime. Zoom has been, you know, uh, something that everybody has had to learn now. But like I said, FaceTime, I've been encouraging my friends to do it for so long because I feel like you can get so much more information across seeing somebody's emotional response to your questions or answers as opposed to a phone call. Um, so, yeah, I, I've kind of been training for this for a while. <laughs> new world we live in just getting to know i think this i laughed when you said the sentence of can you carry me over to your oven so that i can see what the lighting looks like over there right. uh, probably something you never thought that would come out of your mouth uh producing in ways back um yet they understand it immediately they're like oh over here and i'm like yeah i want to see you know okay let's move some of this stuff let's adjust the backlight so that i don't see it in the other shot and then you kind of hope for the best once you've done you know, I'm taking 25 years of experience in television and giving it to them in about 15 minutes before we start rolling. So we're turning everybody into experts here. What has there been a, a snackable or a piece of content that you've done, you know, especially with with Top Chef over the last few months that really stands out to you as that's a piece I'm really proud of, or that's something that is really going to resonate with audiences, you know, especially during this time when a lot of people are probably cooking a little bit more than maybe they would say they cooked last year. Right. No, I, um, I, I don't think anyone stands out in particular. You know, they are. I'm, I'm giving them, like I said, the creative freedom to be vulnerable. And that's something the audiences don't get to see on television or in a commercial. You know, I do these stand and stirs for um, Cooking Panda. That's a marketing firm out here in Canoga Park. And they have big clients like White Castle and Wolfgang Puck or Lee Kum Kee. And having the input um, from those companies on exactly stylized what they want. All they want, they want, oh, some of this seems natural. you know. So as a documentarian, I think that's why I've been successful at it is because that's always my goal is to allow the subject of the documentary to be as vulnerable as possible yet make them look smart and then cut it to make it concise so that it's understandable but even the companies that used to give big notes based on their brand just want something real now you know 
reels up what we're looking for, right? Because you just connect with when people are being real, it's easier to connect with them. And in documentaries or in anything, you're trying to to draw that story out of the person. What's are you? Is there what's the, the storytelling technique to a standster as far as is there a beginning, middle, end? How do you how do you navigate that? And is it all just about the recipe, or is there backstory to this stuff? Well, you know, we put out a calendar based on when the standster is going to be released, and based on that is the recipe they're going to choose, whether that's for a Super Bowl party or a Christmas dish or an Easter, you know, as an example. Um, and I give them the same advice. I'm like, this is your recipe, so let's push the uniqueness of it. But the only way they're going to believe the uniqueness of it is if you give me a personal story of how you came about doing this recipe. You know, did you learn it from your grandmother or did you learn it from, you know, your uncle barbecuing, whatever it is. So to put that personal story and let the audience understand fully where it's coming from as opposed to just, you know, standing there and writing a recipe. I want them to share where it came from, how it's, you know, perceived by their friends when they serve it and and giving those those personal notes. So we know we've heard about the the cooking and things, but I would be remiss if I didn't at least ask you about some of the other amazing content you've worked on. You know, you mentioned Betty White's Off Their Rockers. You mentioned Scare Tactics. You have done a bunch of different type of types of content. And, you know, curious what it's like to pivot from that type of content to where you are now. Like, what are the big differences? What have you learned? You know, prank it forward. You've done a lot of kind of these hidden camera type series. I have to imagine you've got some, some stories. Well, yeah, there, there is nothing like uh, hidden camera shows, prank shows, especially on the scale that I've done them. Um, One of the first things um i ever shot down here was scare tactics you know so my background is as camera operator and my instincts as a hidden camera operator because you only get one shot at it right if you miss the moment it's gone that comes from my live news background which is the same thing you know that's what why i was drawn to live news we're live you know <laughs> my grandma's watching the walla walla when i'm doing the morning news show so um most of the people that work in hidden camera and pranks come from that of like it's an adrenaline rush because you only got one chance to get the star of the show the mark um and so prank it forward was probably the most fulfilling thing i've ever done in my career because i was using those years of learning from punk and scare tactics and jamie kennedy and girls behaving badly and all the like kind of meanish pranks you know that were laughing to using that format to reward people in in a philanthropic way and you know the first big prank i did for defy media on prank it forward um was called she's got it made and the concept was we're going to hire a maid and when she comes to clean the house we're going to mess with her and at the end give her the house and so we scoured the earth um i went all over casting and getting emails from people after a big push and we've landed on um, this woman in Cleveland and I had to go out there, find the house, make sure it wasn't outside of her children's school district, you know, and that it would still be a good commute for her to work. I work with the National Housing Institute to secure a 99 year lease, 
you know, said it would actually be hers. So all these things I'm totally unqualified for based on just like, yeah, I want to give a maid a house. But, um, you know, flipping and we pulled it off and it's super successful. And a lot of these hidden camera shows, too, they have we have multiple marks lined up. But for this one, they, if it didn't go right, you know, I don't know what we were going to do with the house. But they pulled the trigger and we went for it anyways. Um, which, again, I, 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 if Defy Media hadn't gotten under, I thought that was one of their best brands over there. And I worked with Smosh and Screen Junkies and Clever TV. But Prank It Forward, I really thought was like, oh, this, you know, this resonates. Because every time we do one, we'd end up on the Today Show, you know. And Queen Latifah brought the maid out to go on her show and then gave her boss a trip to Mexico and stuff. So just watching the snowballing of philanthropy when that video affected people, I really thought that was going to be something that would be. And, and there's tons of videos out there, people doing good, you know, giving homeless people money and jobs and stuff like that. And that stuff's always going to resonate. I just I don't know why nobody's pulled the trigger on making it a hugely successful like network thing yet. I love the prank it forward idea too, where you, where you are doing the good philanthropic stuff. And the, the thing that when I think of the prank and the hidden camera shows is you don't necessarily know how the person or the subject going to react. You may have an idea of how they might react, but they, you know, somebody could be trying to chuck nuts with you by the end of it, or they, you know, who knows, maybe they take it. Well, do you have any stories where it spiraled out of control or it, it didn't go the way you thought it was going to go? Well, on, on scare tactics, we definitely had some incidents that were never aired early on. Um, people uh, running through glass windows and stuff because they just reacted at, you know, something we hadn't thought about in the season one and season two. You know, we had people jump out of a moving car even though we had secured the locks and took all those precautions you know when people have that fight or flight risk uh it's amazing what humans will devise you know they'll pick up a chair you know so we have to start like bolting down chairs because we're like well we didn't think he would pick up you know um things like that and on the on the other side too with prank it forward like i said the, the biggest um struggle in that production was that there was no backup mark to like learn and like, okay, let's try it again. And we did a prank for a veteran um, in conjunction with um, Extra and Mario Lopez and Universal and Flotus. Michelle Obama was part of it. And the video reveal um, on this prank with Michelle Obama was her popping up on a screen and saying, hi, John. And he thought he was in trouble. Like he's just he's just like um, army guy who was looking for a job and we had gone through all this stuff to get him a job, get him a new motorcycle, do this big surprise by Michelle Obama. And we thought the reaction would be like, wow. But he was like, what did I do? You know, he uh, and so the reaction wasn't perfect, but it is what it is. And Mario Lopez hyped him up like, hey, man, you just got a shout out from the first lady, you know, and it ended up it ended up being a great piece. But you can't really gauge the reaction until you get it. Totally something I never thought of. You really have one shot. And if you miss your shot, you can't recreate that kind of, you know, authentic 
reaction to something, whether it's, you know, happiness, sadness, scared. (laughs) I mean, who knows what it's going to be. What would be kind of, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I I think a lot of shows um, go outside of their integrity often. You know, I'm not going to point fingers, but I, I, having shot thousands of marks and seen their reactions in my career as a cameraman, as a director, as a cinematographer, um, when I see a show and the reaction looks kind of BS, I know it. I like, I know it because I've lived it. And um, to go back on that, I think is where a lot of shows go wrong. You know, the integrity of the show matters, even if the reaction isn't perfect for prime time. You know, the the reality of it is, is that some some people just don't react how how all their friends and family are going to tell you they are. You know, it's in that moment, it's just them, and they don't know that there's 20 cameras pointed on them. Totally, I feel like you have the perfect skill set now to throw just the most you know, one hell of a surprise birthday party and really just catch somebody incredibly off guard. You're going to know exactly what to prepare and plan. Um, what would be given all the experience you have, right? Everything from the, uh, the stuff you've done for top chef and the stuff that you've done for, you know, uh, these, these different types of hidden camera type, uh, prank it forward, Betty white, what's your best piece of advice that you give, you know, somebody who's, who's looking to get into this crazy production world? I think it's the same advice I give anybody that I meet down here currently. My neighbors across the way, they one's an actor, one's an editor. They're from Tampa. And they ask me the same thing. You know, oh, you've been in L.A. 20 years. What's your advice? Shoot your own stuff. That's my advice. You know, I mean, especially now with, with the nonlinear editing programs and iPhone, there's really no reason you can't shoot your own stuff. If you want to be in this business, write your own small script, shoot your own small documentary, you know, do a comedy sketch or whatever fits your fancy, you know, interview your grandmother. I've, I've, I've always said to people that that they can never take away from you and you will learn something from it and you will own that product forever, whatever it is, you know? So yeah, shoot your own stuff. It seems overwhelming, like, oh, I don't have a job. But if you have a phone and a way to edit this stuff, then you can make your own content. And you just started shooting your own stuff, right, Casey? I, Sushi Size Me, I saw that one uh, audience award at Culver City. And then I think it, it did it just get announced too as like an, in the Indie Short Festival as yeah. a potential award there. What led you to that what was that when it was like i need to start shooting my own stuff or were you shooting some stuff before that sushi size me is my first full mobile doc so i've always shot my own stuff with my friends um i have two documentaries uh as dp and producer that are on amazon that are features um so i i've always i've always taken my own advice on shooting my own stuff when when i moved here with all my cougar buddies before YouTube, we were, you know, we were making sketches and sending CD-ROM Christmas presents to people so that they could watch them on their computer. Um, but Sushi Size Me was the first time I was like, let's just shoot the whole thing on iPhone. You know, I'm not going to buy an audio kit. I'm just going to buy a $5 selfie stick at Walmart and we're going to do this. Um, and yeah, we just, we just got um, nominated for Best Mobile Short. Um, at Indie Short Fest LA uh, for the month of December. And I'm up against- Congratulations. Thank you. I'm up against uh, Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick's um, mobile short that they shot 
Um, so it is really cool when when the announcement came out uh, two days ago that you know it was like director Casey Cassidy and then right below it director Kevin Bacon <laughs> I was like oh that's awesome you know um though in my past experience you know Prank It Forward got nominated several times for Streamy Award and Webby Award and I was always up against like Arnold Schwarzenegger or up against Matt Damon so it doesn't always work out that great but still just to get the screenshot is like hey look you know, maybe Kevin Bacon's looking at my trailer right now, wondering if he could win this festival. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, that's kind of a cool pinch me moment to think that maybe Kevin Bacon is sitting in his kitchen watching your trailer. Um, yeah. I it's, love that. It's one of the reasons too, Sushi Size Me, just getting out there and doing it and ending up with a fantastic story that took place during the LA teacher strike last year. And the guy's also a basketball coach, a good friend of mine, a Husky. And um, that was the only downside of the whole (laughs) (laughs) says the cougar, (laughs) but, but, you know, again, talking about that vulnerability, because I was like, you have to, every meal you eat, you have to talk to this camera every day when I'm not here or not. And I would go to his basketball games when he couldn't shoot, but his video diaries is what the, the meat and potatoes of the movie is. It's showing that vulnerability and what you're able to capture when it's just a person alone with their phone. I think is, you know, it is the new flavor of, of what people are looking for in documentary. Cause you can't get that with a four person crew standing in the living room when they can just set up the phone and talk when they feel like it, you get more vulnerability that you can't fake. That's so true. I always think when I watch reality television and you see somebody breaking down how awkward that must be knowing how many, you know, cast, crew, lighting, sound people are standing around them, asking them, be honest, be vulnerable. If you need to cry, that's okay. Uh, so I feel like vulnerability sure. seems like a common thread in the work that that you do is something that you're looking for out of your, your characters, your storytelling, you know, in, in general across the board. And having done both sides, I mean, you know, I've shot hundreds of reality shows at this point in my career, and I've been there where the director's like, don't look her in the eye, you know, <laughs> like when somebody's having a breakdown or whatever the instruction is. Yeah, I've been in those rooms where it's just the cameraman in there and she starts crying and you're getting fed through the earpiece, like just stick with it, you know, and it is a very uncomfortable situation to be in. And, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, foretell cameramen going away but at some point when you're shooting 10k you just come in and put three iphones in the room and walk away and then do it all in post and you don't have to have that uncomfortable moment so it may lead to you know more more vulnerability in those things that really trigger audiences i remember filming uh just for local tv and it was always you always felt sometimes too that like the newspaper writer would get the better soundbite because there wasn't a camera shoved in front of someone's face. Right. And it, it feels Absolutely. like a similar idea. You mentioned where we could be going 10 K just put three iPhones in a room and, and call it good. As you look ahead, maybe the next 2020 forecasting, what would be your guess on, on where this is going? I know you just, obviously you, you talk sushi size me and a mobile documentary. What where are we looking as we look forward? Uh, I, I wish I wish I had the answers on that, but I'll tell you what, the iPhone 11 and 12 are game changers for this stuff. To be COVID safe, to just be able to send three tripods, three cameras, 
and a light rig and you know direct it on FaceTime, I think a lot of reality is already going that way because it's the only way they can truly protect their cast and their crew. So yeah, it gets a lot of a, a rid of a lot of crew positions, but it creates a lot of post positions. And those post positions are now integrated with social media positions, you know. So you're getting the stuff, and then it, that's airing on broadcast, but you're also getting unused stuff, behind-the-scenes stuff to put out on the Instagram to tease the big broadcast or whatever the advertising dollars are pushing. Um, so, yeah, we're becoming a more digital world, and, and people are yearning for more interaction. Yeah, it's definitely a, a crazy time. I wish we all had a crystal ball to uh, look into to kind of predict what's going to happen in the next six, nine, 12 months here. But I feel like what you've done to pivot over the last year has been phenomenal. And the advice you've shared are things that, you know, everyone can learn from or, you know, even just how your your videos are helping some of those chefs or restaurants that that are that are struggling we can't let you go though. I know it's your birthday, but we can't let you go with at least putting you through the ringer just a little bit with our lightning round. Let's so do it. We'll keep it as painless as we can. We'll just <laughs> fire off some quick questions. We'll get quick answers. The first thing that comes to your mind, you know, so we'll start it off easy. What'd you want to be when you grew up? I thought I was going to be a crop duster. I thought I was going to be a pilot. I went to flight school out of high school before I ended up getting a degree in broadcasting. Your go-to thing to stir up creativity, maybe when it's just not coming to you, what do you do to, to try and stir that up? I like to get out on my bicycle. It's uh, pretty simple and nobody else rides bikes in LA. I really feel like a loner out there, but putting in the headphones, getting out on the bikes, kind of, you know, getting in touch with the nitty gritty of the street, even if it's only 20 minutes um, and golf. So getting out in the, in the fresh air right now, those are the things that keep my powder dry, so to speak. That's the go-to. As somebody who's putting together a lot of short form videos, especially for social media, what's your social media pet peeve? Oh man, politics on Facebook, it's just brutal. We're both Edward R. Murrow guys, so he, so he's the GOAT when it comes to storytelling. But who is your favorite storyteller all time? Oh, wow. All time? Quentin Tarantino, probably. I mean, I moved to Los Angeles 18 years ago thinking that I'd be making feature films, you know, before reality TV became the means to an end. And here I am. I've still not made a scripted feature. But stories like that, the dark side and kind of you know, the epic comedy-ish dark features. That's that's the storytellers I look to for inspiration. Hey, you're not out of time yet. There's plenty of time to, to still get that feature film done. Let's <laughs> cap it off here. Last but not least, in three words, the best stories are blank, blank, and blank. The best stories are true, vulnerable, and mysterious. I love it. I was, I was expecting vulnerable to come through there. So you came through for me, <laughs> uh, Casey, it's been awesome to chat with you and nonetheless, happy birthday. And thank you for taking you. the time to, to chat with us. I, your career has been one hell of a ride and I'm excited to see where you go next. Awesome. Such a pleasure to meet all of you. Thank you so much for having me on.